Thanks for joining the Mount Perrin North Canton Campus Podcast. We wanted to let you know that after the music, at the beginning of today's message, there will be an intentional minute of silence that serves as an illustration point for the message. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Anybody feeling awkward yet? A <laughs> little nervous, a little uneasy? Because if you've been with us any length of time, you know that we kind of transition from one element of our worship service to the other pretty smoothly and pretty quickly. And you knew, okay, something's not right. Somebody missed a cue. Somebody messed up. Somebody wake up, Pastor Mark. He's supposed to be on, right? Somebody's getting fired tomorrow. This is all going through your mind. And you know how long we were silent? One minute. I timed it. One minute. But when something you're used to doesn't happen, and there's kind of this silence, there's this awkwardness, there's this sense of uncertainty and nervousness. Well, multiply that one minute, that 60 seconds, by 400 years, because that's the time between when the Old Testament closed out with a prophecy of the becoming of a Messiah, and when the Messiah was born in the New Testament, 400 years, and you know what, during that 400 years, God went silent, and you see, the Jews were used to hearing from God, they were used to hearing from God through their prophets, God giving them a new revelation, a new command, some type of new instruction. But for 400 years, God went silent and they heard nothing. And you think you were unnerved for a minute? Think how they were for 400 years, four centuries, not hearing from God. But here's what we need to understand. During those 400 years, history shows us that even though God was silent, it doesn't mean that he wasn't at work. He was at work behind the scenes preparing for what was going to happen next. And you and I need to understand that in our own lives. When it seems like God has gone silent, he's kind of gone dark. You don't understand what he's doing. He doesn't make sense what's happening. Here's what we need to understand. God's silence does not mean his absence. Say that with me. God's silence does not mean his absence. One more time. God's silence does not mean his absence. He is at work in our lives, working behind the scenes, preparing us for what he's about to do 
next. And I want to take a brief moment and look what was happening in those 400 years in the earth, what history shows us. But to do that, first of all, let's look at see how the Old Testament closed out. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. He's one of the prophets of the Old Testament. And he closes out what we would call the Old Testament period, if you will. In Malachi 3 verse 1, here is his prophecy. He says this, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So Malachi prophesies that two messengers are going to come on the scene. One of those is going to prepare the way for the second messenger, who he says is the Lord of the covenant, who is the Messiah. So they're prophesying about two messengers that are coming. We know now that the first messenger was John the Baptist, who prepared the way for the Lord of the covenant, the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus Christ. But what was happening after Malachi made this prophecy, God went silent What was happening in the earth? How was God working behind the scenes for the preparing of the coming of this Messiah? Well, we see in these 400 years, three empires that came into power. Two fell, and one was in power when Christ came on the scene. Let's quickly look at what was going on there. The first empire we want to look at is the Medo-Persian Empire. They conquered the Babylonian Empire, who had taken the Jews captive, had them captive for about 70 years. But then when Medo-Persia came into power, they released the Jews from captivity. Now, many of them returned to Israel, but also many of them dispersed through all the nations in the earth. It's called the diaspora or the great dispersion. And when these Jews would go into the earth, they would carry their Jewish culture into those nations and they would tell of this promised Messiah that was coming. So in essence, the Jews became kind of the first witnesses, if you will, of God into the earth. Well, then the Medo-Persian Empire was was conquered by the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great wanted to indoctrinate every culture on the earth with the Greek culture. And one of the main ways he did this is he made the Greek language the common language of the world. And so all nations spoke Greek as well as their own native tongue. Well, obviously that made it better for trade and for travel, but also... The Hebrew scriptures that we call the Old Testament were translated into Greek. And so now people weren't just hearing about this promised Messiah. They were be able to read about this promised Messiah from the scriptures as well. Well, the Greek empire was conquered by the Roman empire. And the Roman empire was in place when Jesus Christ, at the time of Christ coming on the earth. And the Roman Empire, they were known for their archaeological or or, or architectural uh, genius. They were tremendous builders. And they built these major roadways that went throughout the entire earth because they covered about all the earth in their entire kingdom and empire. And those major roadways would come down through Israel. If you wanted to get from Europe and Asia down to Africa and back by land, you had to come right down through Israel. So now people are traveling on these major roadways. They have the same language and they've read about this Messiah. So now as they come through Israel, they're going to encounter people that have seen the Messiah. They're going to see people that are eyewitnesses of his great miracles, talking about a crucifixion, talking about a resurrection. Some of them might even encounter this Messiah. And they're taking this and encountering and they're taking this message 
throughout the whole world. See, for the 400 years that God was silent, He was still at work in the earth out of His sovereignty, preparing the world for the right time for the Messiah to come so that the world would receive Him. I want to say to you today, when God is silent, it does not mean He is absent. And if you don't know what He's saying to you today, you haven't heard Him in a little while, you may be confused about what's going on, you're uncertain about how God is working in your life, let me tell you right now, at the right time, God is going to break that silence and do what needs to be done in your life, that you're going to have the greatest impact on your life from this person called Jesus Christ. So what does that mean to us today? What is this right time of Christmas? Because when Jesus was born, the first Christmas, it was the right time. It was the perfect time for him to come. So what does that say to us? To look at this today, we're going to look at the writings of Paul in the book of Galatians. Now, Galatians is in the New Testament. And Galatians were a a people, they were Gentiles. Paul started this church. Now, you would have had some Jews that would have relocated there through this dispersion that we talked about a moment ago. And the Gentiles of that time would have heard about this Messiah, probably had read about him in the Greek scriptures as well, maybe even heard of some eyewitness accounts of some people that maybe had gone through Israel through the roadways of the Roman Empire, and maybe heard their eyewitness account about what they heard about Jesus or even countered Jesus. So when Paul comes, they're ready, and he shares who this Jesus is. Many receive Christ, and a church is birthed. It was the right time for them. So what does Paul tell us about this right time? And we see these words in Galatians 4, in verses 4 through 7. Here's what he writes. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you also his heir. So three insights I want to share about the right time of Christmas. The first insight I want to share from Paul's words about the right time of Christmas means that we can know that God is in control. Say God is in control. What did Paul say here? In this very opening verse, he says, when the right time came, God sent his son. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, Christmas never got here fast enough. It took forever for Christmas to get here. Now that I'm an adult, Christmas gets here way too fast. Do I have an amen in the house? I mean, Christmas just kind of runs over you, doesn't it? But the first Christmas, the night that Jesus was born, and it was the right time. It was the perfect time. In fact, that phrase, right time, that Paul uses in the Greek, it literally, it means according to the plan and purpose of God. According to the will and the way of God. That God in His sovereignty had prepared this world for the perfect time for Christ to come. See, He's in control. Now, it may not seem like that when we look at the world around us. And we see increased terrorism, and we see increased perversion, and we see increased corruption and wickedness. We see it all around us. We hear it on the the news reports every single day. But I want to tell you something. That stuff that's happening in this world does not hold God hostage. It does not hinder Him or bind Him from carrying out His plans and purposes in this earth. God in His sovereignty, I don't know how He does it, 
is able to work through the free will of human beings who want to rebel against him and do evil in this world. He's still able to work his redemptive plans and purposes in this earth. In fact, folks, as followers of Christ, for those of us that are Christ followers in this room, we should not be surprised one bit about what's happening. Because Jesus Christ himself told us this kind of stuff was going to happen. In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, his followers ask him, hey, if you're the Messiah, when are, you going to, when are you going to establish your kingdom? When are you going to set up the rule and reign of your kingdom? And here's what he said to them in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 6. He says this, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Look at your neighbor and say, don't panic. We hear of wars and rumors of wars every single day. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Do we not see that on a regular basis? But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Anybody feeling good right now? You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. What kind of persecution are we seeing Christians all over the world right now? And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now look what he has just painted, this very, very bleak picture, describing exactly the world in which you and I live right now. This wickedness, this evil, this chaos. But then look what he says in the next verse. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. He's saying among all this chaos, among all this wickedness, among all this evil, all this catastrophe that you'll be seeing throughout the earth, God and His sovereignty will be working in the midst of all of that, carrying forth the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. It will be dead center in the middle of it. Nothing we're experiencing today hinders God from doing His plan and purposes in this earth. In fact, in places like ISIS, in those types of places, in places like Iran, in places like Iraq, places where Christianity is supposed to be banned, we're seeing more people come to Christ in those places than any time in history. That's because God's in control. And as followers of Christ in this room, if I'm a Christ follower, I should be the least worried, least frightened, least anxiety-ridden of anybody else on the planet. The followers of Christ in this room, we should have more hope, more peace, more joy, because we know God is in control. And if Christmas time says anything, it says that. At the right time, God sent His Son. And maybe God's been silent in your life for a little while. But his silence does not mean his absence. And if he has complete control of your life at the right time, he's going to break that silence. And he's going to speak and do what you need to hear and what needs to be done in your life. The right time of Christmas is I can know God's in control. But also the right time of Christmas is that I can know who I am and where I'm going. Look what Paul writes in verse 7. He says, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. 
And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What is he saying? He's saying, I am a child of God and I have a future. I have an identity and I have a destiny. I have a reason for being, a purpose, and I have a future. He is taking me somewhere. He says, you're a child of God and you're an heir because of Jesus Christ. Now, how does that happen in my life? Am I born into it? How do I become this child of God? Is everybody, is it just happens? Well, Paul lets us know how I become this child in verses 4 and 5, just before verse 7. Let's walk through this for a moment. But he says, when the, time, the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. Meaning that as fully God as Jesus Christ was, he was also equally fully human. Born of a woman. Jesus wanted to identify with us in every form of our humanity. So much so, he even chose to go through the birthing process. I mean, my goodness, he even went through having to grow up and go through puberty and acne and the awkward moments of inviting a girl to the prom and all that stuff. You know, look, if he can raise people from the dead and walk on water, couldn't he just appear as a man? Just boom, beam me up, Scotty. There I am. I'm a man. No, he so wanted to identify with who we are as human beings, man. He went through the birthing process and the whole deal of growing up. And he can identify with every form of suffering, every form of anxiety and and, and trouble that you and I have been through. He came to identify with us so we could identify with him. He was born of a woman, it says, subject to the law. Means he bound himself to the holy righteous requirements of God. He placed himself under the same authority that you and I were placed under. He bound himself to the law of God to follow it. You and I broke the law. You and I were tempted in sin and we sinned. Which made us a slave to sin. Made us under the power of sin. Made us under the condemnation of God's judgment. Jesus Christ, tempted in every way that we were, he held the law. He never broke the law. But he put himself, subjected himself to the same authority that you and I were under. And then look what he does. Verse 5. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. See, Jesus Christ, because he did not give in to sin, he was the perfect sacrifice for you and me. And he willfully, willingly went to a cross and died on a cross, paying the penalty of our sin that you and I deserve to pay, but he paid in our stead to buy us freedom. The idea of buying one's freedom is the idea of redeem. The word redeem that we often hear is a a slave transaction term. In slave days, when a slave trader would buy a slave out of slavery and then give that slave his or her freedom, that meant they redeemed that slave. Well, Jesus Christ, by paying the penalty on the cross for you and me, He purchased our freedom. He brought us out from under the power of sin, the slavery of the guilt of sin, brought us out from under the condemnation of God's law and by His righteousness and His holiness. And because He's a Son of God, He gave that to us so you and I could stand before our Heavenly Father accepted fully as a child of the living God. No. I am not a Christian because I've been born into a Christian home. And I am not a Christian 
by the process of elimination. I'm not Muslim, I'm not Hindu, I'm not Buddhist, and I'm not Jewish. I must be a Christian. No. It comes by saying, I choose to follow Jesus Christ. And man, I become a child of God. If you're a male follower of Christ in this room, say this with me. I am a son of God. Say it. I am a son of God. If you're a female follower of Christ in this room, say this with me. I am a daughter of God. I am a daughter of God. Say that with me. I am a daughter of God. If you're a child of God, male or female, you're a follower of Christ, say this with me. I am a child of God. Say it. I am a child of God. Do you believe that today? That's who I am. I am Paul and Karma's baby boy. I am proud to be Paul and Karma's baby boy. Now, I know what people say about the babies of families. They're spoiled rotten. Their parents were tired when they came along. They were lax. They give them everything they want. And you know what? You're absolutely right, and I'm proud to own that. When Mark, thank you. When Mark Walker was born to Paul and Karma, it was the right time for Mark Walker. And you know what? God even blessed me more as He gave me a wife that spoils me just as much as they do. When Mark Walker married Udella Joyce Richardson, it was the right time for Mark Walker. I want to get a teacher that says, I'm spoiled and proud of it. But you know what? I may not talk to my parents for a couple of three weeks. They live right here in town. I may not talk to them for two or three weeks. You know, during that time of silence, I'm not sitting there going, man, I wonder if my parents love me. And I wonder if they've forgotten about me. Man, I wonder if my mom and dad have moved away and didn't tell me. No. The whole time I'm going, I know the thoughts of my mom and dad towards me are good and they're wholesome and they're holy and they want what's best for me. Because I know the track record of my parents. And you may be sitting here silenced right now. I mean, you may be sitting in a situation you haven't heard from God, but you know you're a child of God because you walk with Jesus Christ. But it's uncertain right now, and you're not certain what God's going on and doing. Get a hold and remember what he has said about you and what he said to you. You hold on to that because it's just going to be a matter of time. He's going to break that silence and remind you of who you are and do some great things in your life. You know what? As a child of God, I got a future, man. I get stuff. I'm an heir. That's what Paul just said. He said, look, as a child, he's adopted as his own children. We're slaves. We have an heir. I get stuff. I got stuff coming to me. Listen, in 19 days, if you're a Christmas purist on the 25th, you're going to get a lot of stuff. If you're not a Christmas purist, you're going to get a lot of stuff between now and the 25th. Great stuff. I hope you get a ton of stuff. My granddaughter has asked for everything under the sun. She's got her list memorized. In fact, we'll be watching TV, and a, and a toy commercial comes on, and she'll do this. She'll give a thumbs up and say, that's on my list. But then if a toy comes up that's usually the boy toys, it isn't. She'll say, not on my list. I'm going to tell you about the stuff you're going to get. Sir, that tie is going to get a stain on it. That blouse, madam, is going to get a rip in it. That sweater is going to tear. 
whatever technological device you get is going to need an upgrade in about two months that you're going to have to pay for to get. That toy is going to break. The batteries are going to run out. Am I making Christmas good for you right now? I'm going to tell you the stuff that God has for us, nothing can get to it. It never decays. It never runs out. It's eternal. That's the stuff he has for us. In fact, Paul, I mean, not Paul, Peter, the other guy, Simon Peter, he says this in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 5. I can't get my notes open. Just go to it. He says this, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy we've been born again. That means redeemed. That means we've been brought out from slavery into his freedom. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. How many of you know he's alive? Now we live with a great expectation. And we have priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. The last day is when Jesus Christ returns. Here's what I want you to see, what, Paul, what Peter is saying here. He's saying that the Lord has you in one hand if you're his follower. He has your inheritance in the other hand. And it doesn't matter what's happening around us in a given day. It doesn't matter how bad or awful it is. Every day in the Lord is a new day of him bringing us closer and closer and closer and closer to our eternal inheritance. Listen, you and I as followers of Christ in this room, we are not defined by this culture. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by what sin has done to us. We're not defined by anything of this world. We are defined by the true and living God. And if I walk with Jesus Christ, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and I have an eternal future that nobody can take away from me. Nobody. Man, that's the right time of Christmas. And then the last thing, if I can get my notes open here. Oh, I'll just go to here. The right time of Christmas means I can know who God is. Paul says, verse 6, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. See, of all the things that Christmas says, the right time of Christmas is, I can know God personally. I can know Him intimately. So Paul's saying here, this Spirit of His Son, that's the Holy Spirit. When I choose to follow Christ, God by the Spirit comes and lives in me. He becomes my guide, my counselor. And He enables me to say, Abba, Father. That phrase is a term of endearment. It's like saying, Daddy. It's like saying, Papa. I mentioned my four-year-old granddaughter, Kennedy. Man, when she says, Papa, it melts my heart. When my son and daughter were growing up as little guys, man, when I first started hearing those words, Daddy, man, it melted my heart. See, I can know God intimately. You know, when Jesus Christ came into this world, the way he came, that's not what the people were expecting. They weren't expecting a baby. They were expecting a conquering king. And when he came in as a baby, it was a, it was, it was a way that, that they had not anticipated. Even though the prophecies indicated that, some of them got a hold of that. For the most part, it was just different for how they expected. God may do it differently than what we expect. God may do it differently than even what we prayed or hoped. But the way that God does it is going to be the right time for our lives. It is going to be exactly what we need. And the beautiful thing is, in all of that, His desires that we know Him intimately. I mentioned my daughter a moment ago, Ashton. 
when she was about four years old, she wasn't in school, and she was at home, and I, uh, uh, our Mary to campus, I, I live close to our Mary to campus, so I just came home one day from the office just to get a sandwich for lunch, and I walked into the door, and here came this little four-year-old, and she jumped up in my arms, and she gave me a big hug. She said, I love you, Daddy, and she said, oh, you smell so good. I looked down at her, and she looked up at me. I said, well, thank you, baby. That's so sweet. And she said, oh, but, Daddy, your breath stinks. <laughs> Jumped out of my arms and ran off. Intimacy broken. But really not. Because even though she had ran off, you know what? I could still smell her. I could still hear the words of I love you, Daddy, in my mind. I could still just feel that hug around my neck. When God is silent, it doesn't mean He's absent. And it doesn't mean that we've lost intimacy with Him. Because I can still remember the times when I felt so close to Him. I can look back on the times when He says, I love you. I can read and hear when He tells me how much I mean to Him. But at the right time, he's going to break that silence in your life. He's going to move in such a way, you're going to feel closer to him than you've ever felt before. Because he's going to reveal himself in a way you never anticipated. The great adventure of God is not when we understand who he is. No, no, no. The great adventure of God is, God, show me what I don't understand. Feel yourself in a new way. Invite the band to come up real quick. I ran across this story of a woman who had never met her real father. And as she entered adulthood, she got married. But she was afraid that her broken model of relationship would hurt her marriage and her ability to parent any future children that they had. So she prayed and asked God to help her meet her real father. She asked that even if she couldn't meet him, that maybe God would send her a father figure, someone to show her what it looked like to be loved by a father, cared for, nurtured, protected, pampered. Well, she never met her real father, and she never really had a father figure come into her life. God was silent. Several years later, she got pregnant, and they had a little girl. But as she watched her husband care for her daughter, parts of her heart that had been broken and scarred all her life, they began to get healed. And she said, you know what? I asked God for a father for me. Instead, he gave me a daughter, something I never had, a loving father. And I got to watch. You see, I was looking for a man to fill the void in my life. Instead... God sent me a baby. You and I, this world, look for a lot of things to fill the void. God said, when time's right, I'm going to give you a baby. His name's Jesus Christ. He's the one to fill every void. His silence does not mean his absence. 
at the right time because he is in control. He's going to break into where you are and reveal himself in a whole new way. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know the uncertainty you face. I don't know the issues of your family. I'm no dummy. By my own common sense, by my own experience as a pastor and dealing with people for many, many years, I know when you start coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas for many families, it's tough. It's not easy. It's a challenging time. I'll tell you, God's here today. He wants to comfort your heart. He wants to speak truth to your soul. He wants to bring healing into that life, that place where you need healing. Maybe for some of you, the right time today is to choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you, the right decision you need to make today is for Him to truly be the Lord and Savior of your life. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to pray a quick prayer and then I just want to have a moment where we just pray one for the other. God, I just invite your presence to come right now, to move, to touch hearts where they need to be touched, to speak where we need to hear. Holy Spirit, I don't want to hinder you in any way, and I don't want to hold back from what you might want to do in ministering to lives in this room. So give us wisdom and understanding, and I pray for people today that, that need, need prayer. They need They need to know you're in control. They need to know that they're a son and daughter. Or maybe they need to make the decision to follow you so they can become a son and daughter. Some of them just need to get close and hear you in some way or feel you. Lord, I pray in the next few moments that happens by your great love for us.